Thank you, ladies, for that great song. Let's turn our Bibles again to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And um, hope that you would take a bit of time this week to pray about ministry market. And um, if you didn't receive a, a guide to that for next week, please, um, please feel free. The ushers are going to come through. Or even afterwards, just um, grab one from, from them and... In that, it's just a summary of the different ministries that we have that you can be part of, and we'd love to just engage the church and, and get everyone involved in that. And the whole thought is just to be sold out. You know, I think that the, that we ought to have a great mindset and a great value to about the things of God and being part of that. And so, hope you take the time. There's a the good summary of of all of the different things that you can you can be part of. And um, I wanted to just say also for those of you already involved then it's just a good time to recommit and sign up again for another year of serving the Lord uh, through our church. And um, We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 this morning, and we read it earlier about really just the, this, this sermon that, that Jesus gives in regard to the differences that, uh, that his, his manner of life and the way we ought to follow in that ought to be um, in comparison to what the world thinks and that what the world does. That's, that's really what, what it was. When you read through the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, you, you think about how much further the Lord Jesus is trying to, to teach His way of living is. There's certain things that we sort of accept as, you know, that as normal. We, ought to, we love those that we agree with, we're, we're friends with, but He's saying we're to even love our enemies, and he goes beyond, and he's saying that there's a higher standard, there's a higher way of living. And then he goes on and he talks about being salt and light. And what I think he was trying to emphasize there is that, you know, if we're going to live the Christian life the way he deems it to be and the way he prescribes it for us to be, then we're going to live a certain way that will make a difference. Um, some sort of, we're going to live a certain way that actually will cause there to be um, some sort of change in the environment in which we are placed. And, you know, we live in a time where it, it's, it's so much more needed that we as believers live the way Jesus prescribes us to live. And, and sometimes we, we question, uh, even today, the kind of, and I'm going to use this word, influence that God's people has on this world. Because that's, the, that's really what he was talking about here when he's talking about being salt and being light is really what kind of influence are we? You know, when someone's an influence, they, they compel the, the environment around them to change. They're compelled to, uh, the, those around them are compelled to change or to move or to, to take action because of their influence. And maybe you can think of someone in your life that, that was influential. I remember I had a couple of, of I had uh, some, some great friends growing up and one particular guy, who he, I went to a high school where I didn't know anyone. And so when I went to high school, um, met a friend who was interested in the same things I was and, and found out he was a Christian as well. And so we just hit it off and he and I, his name's Ryan, he, uh, he and I had the same classes and we would sit next to each other. And I noticed something about the way he wrote and a little while I looked at it, and, and you know how you, you're, you're taught to write sort of in a, in, a, in, a, in a slant that goes towards the right. Somehow his slant went left. And so I would watch him, and, and every day I would just watch him, 
And if you've ever received uh, a handwritten note from me, you're going to understand the kind of influence he had in my life, okay? Because a lot of people describe my handwriting as chicken scratch, okay? But it was his influence, and sometimes influence can do us well or not do us well. And it really it depends on the kind, the, kind of, the kind of friends that they are to make. We understand the kind of influence friends have on ourselves and our children. We understand that who we hang out with and who we spend time with has an influence on us. And where it was that we were a certain way, when we start to hang around certain kinds of friends, we start to become a different way. What that is, it's we've been influenced. And I think sometimes we undervalue a, a commodity that we have, and, and certainly in our day and age, it has become commodified, is this thing of just personal influence. And, and I want to ask you that question. You know, I, I think about the, the dawning of, uh, of, of marketing over the last uh, two decades, how marketing has really shaped the way people think about life and the way that, that uh, the, the, some certain values that we have really has been because of marketing. You think about social media and how now you can get a, get a job being a social media influencer. You know, you talk to some young people and they just want to make it big on YouTube. And somehow YouTube can pay you enough that you can become a billionaire, a millionaire. And, and somehow, because you're a social media influencer, suddenly you, you can earn a living. And suddenly you can earn more than some of, those, some of us who work so hard and, and you look at that and you go, surely not. But you know what they're harnessing? They're harnessing the power of influence. That's why it's the social media influencer. They're making you think certain ways and moving and compelling you. And, and I'm saying that influence is a powerful thing. And yet when we think about us as Christians, sometimes we shy away from the kind of influence we should be in our homes, in our communities, in our workplaces. Sometimes we, rather than, than, than looking at the, 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 the reasons why we ought to be influential, we shy away from that. And I'm not saying this morning that you have to be a person of influence to be influential. In fact, sometimes the most influential people in our lives are probably not even aware of the things that they've taught us. And I think about... Uh, my upbringing in, uh, in, in, in Independent Baptist Church, and I think about the different preachers that have come through that have been an influence on me, but I think about the men who, who I grew up being under in that church. I think about the labor, and I think about the things that I watched in them, some of the characteristics that, that really are me because, firstly, they influenced me through their actions. I think about a particular man who was the uh, was a, a faithful man in our church. I think he was a, a deacon at one point. And he was, he was also the treasurer of our church at that time. And uh, I was doing a, an accounting degree at, at university. So my pastor said, look, we need help in that area. So can you help him? And I'd like you to, to just be under him and watch him. And he would so, set me certain tasks that I needed to, to do. And in one particular afternoon, there was a, something due that I needed to get done that was on the church accounts. And that afternoon, I, one of my friends said, hey, um, there's a bunch of guys just in between services. They, we want to play basketball. Now, if you know me, that's, that's one of my passions, right? I love basketball. 
So my friend said, my friend said, hey, come along. I knew I needed about two hours to get this thing done. But my friend said, hey, let's go play. So you know what I did? Guess, guess what? I went to play basketball, right? So I played basketball all afternoon, and I got back to the church, and this thing was due. And I just remember this man sitting down with me, and he's saying, um, did you get that done? I said, no, I didn't. And he goes, listen, if you can p- commit, commit to do something, you should get it done. <laughs> Never really, if you look at it from a human point of view, you, would, you wouldn't term as influential, but he had a great influence on me. And you know, sometimes we look at, and, and maybe for those of you who've grown and now you've, you're looking back and you're seeing how your parents raised you and you have some of the things that they've instilled in your life, you might name someone else if you were to answer that question on a, sur- on a survey today, who's the most influential person in your life. But in all reality, it was someone that you observed day in, day out, and their consistency or even their inconsistency, you learned some things and they were an influence on you. Influence can be a powerful thing. And I'm saying that each and every one of us, regardless of our talent, regardless of what platform we might have, regardless of a lack of any of those, all of us have one thing that's a precious commodity that we ought to take in. It's this influence. And how's your influence? You know, in the areas that you're, you're part of, in the, the, the community that you live in, in our church, in your family, in the places that you work, in the places that you study, what kind of influence do you exert? What, what can be said, what has changed because of your presence in that place or because of your presence in that person's life? Have you made them better or have you made them worse? Have you given a, a better perspective of life or have you made it a worse perspective? Because we all have something in common. We all have influence. You know, we can all think of someone who was perhaps prominent to us but not prominent in the world's eyes. Maybe he taught us something that made a difference in our lives. And, and I'm saying in the same sense, we as Christians, we ought to realize that our life is a life that can be lived with influence. Again, I'm not saying go out of your way to be an influential person. I'm saying be a person of influence. Live your life in such a way that you make a positive influence to others for Jesus Christ. I think about a story that I heard and I was reminded again this morning of a man by the name of Frank Jenner. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Frank Jenner. Probably you haven't. But he's known as the, the man from George Street. If you ever spent time in Sydney, you know the main street downtown is George Street and for a long time that wasn't just business it was a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, just just units there flats that you could live in and a story is told of of this man from George Street and I'm just going to read it for you and so bear with me this morning that this all started a number of years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in South London the Sunday morning service was closing and a man stood up at the back and raised his hand and said excuse me pastor can I share a a short testimony the pastor looked at his watch, and he said, you have three minutes. The man proceeded with this story. I've just moved into this area. I used to live in Sydney, Australia. Just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives, and I was walking down George Street. You know where George Street is in Sydney, going from the business area to the colonial area? A strange little white-haired man stepped out from a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand, and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going into heaven? And I was astounded by these words. No one had ever asked me that. 
I thanked him courteously, and all the way home to London, this puzzled me. I called a friend and thanked God he was a Christian, and he led me to Christ. Now, the Baptists loved testimonies like that. Everyone applauded and welcomed him into their fellowship. Now, the Baptist pastor, the same one, flew to Adelaide, Australia, the next week. And 10 days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church in Adelaide, a woman came up to him for some counseling. He wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And so she responded and said, I used to live in Sydney. And just a couple of months back, I was visiting some friends in Sydney and doing some last-minute shopping down George Street. A strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway and offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, madam, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I was disturbed by those words. When I got home to Adelaide, I knew the Baptist church was on the next block from me. So I sought out a pastor and he led me to Christ. So I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now the London pastor was was pretty puzzled by this. Twice in two weeks, he had heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal and asked for the elder, how the elder got saved. And he said, this, I grew up in this church from the age of 15. I never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everyone else. Because of my business ability, I grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business trip to Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, and accosted me with a question, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. I was seething with anger all the way home from Sydney to Perth. I told my pastor, thinking that he would sympathize, but he agreed. He had been disturbed for years knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. The London preacher flew home and was soon speaking at the Keswick Convention's in the Lake District, and he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching series, four elderly pastors came up and explained that they too had been saved between 25 and 30 years earlier through that same little man on George Street offering them a pamphlet and asking that same question. The following week, he flew to a similar convention in the Caribbean to missionaries. He shared the same testimonies. And at the close of his teachings, three missionaries came forward and said that they had also been saved between 15 and 25 years earlier but that same, by that same little man's testimony and the same question on George Street in Sydney. Next, he stopped in Atlanta, Georgia to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. He was there for three days and he spoke to over a thousand naval chaplains. Afterwards, the, chaplain's general, the chaplain general took him out for a meal and he asked the chaplain how he became a Christian. It was, a mirac- it was miraculous. I was raiding on a naval battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked at Sydney Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Cross with a vengeance. I was blind drunk, got on the wrong bus and got off at George Street. And as I got off the bus, I thought I saw a ghost. As this man jumped out in front of me and pushed a pamphlet in my hand and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? The fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked, sober, ran back to the ship and sought out the chaplain. He led me to Christ. And I soon began to prepare for the ministry under his guidance. And now 
I'm in charge of a thousand chaplains who are bent on soul winning today. Six months later, that London pastor flew to a conference for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote part of northeast India. At the end, the head missionary took him to his humble little home for a simple meal. And he asked how this Hindu man, who was a Hindu man, came to Christ. He responded, I grew up in a very privileged position. I worked in the Indian diplomatic mission and I traveled the world. I was so glad for, for the forgiveness of Christ and blood covering my sin. I would be very embarrassed if people found out what I got into. One period of diplomatic service took me to Sydney. I was doing some last minute shopping, laden with toys and clothes for my children. I was walking down George Street when a courteous, white-haired little man stepped out in front of me and offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town, sought out our Hindu priest. Couldn't help me. But he advised me that maybe to satisfy my curious mind, I should go and talk to the missionary in the mission home at the end of the road. That was quite good advice because that day the missionary led me to Christ. I quit Hinduism immediately and began to prepare for ministry. I left the diplomatic service and here I am today by God's grace in charge of all these missionaries who have together led copious amounts of people to Christ. Eight months later, that same London pastor was preaching in Sydney. He asked the local Baptist minister if he knew a little elderly white-haired man who handed out tracts on George Street. He replied, yes, I do. His name is Mr. Jenner. Although I don't think he does it anymore because he's so frail and elderly. And two nights later, they went to meet him in this little apartment, in his little apartment. They knocked on the door and this tiny, frail old man greeted them and he sat them down and made them tea. He was so frail that he was slopping the tea in the saucer as his hands shook. And the London preacher sat there and told him of all these accounts from the previous three years. This little man with tears running down his cheeks, he told them his story. He said, I was raiding on an Australian warship and I was living a reprobate life. In a crisis, I really hit the wall. One of my colleagues to whom I gave literal hell was there to help me. He led me to Jesus and the change in my life was night and day in 24 hours. I was so grateful to God, I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. And as God gave me strength, I did that. Sometimes I was ill and couldn't do it, but I made up for the days I missed at the other times. I wasn't paranoid about it. I, I just had done this for 40 years. In my retirement years, the best place was on George Street where I saw hundreds of people a day. I got a lot of rejections, but a lot of people courteously took the track. And in 40 years of doing this, I never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. You just don't know what kind of influence you exert. You just don't know if you just would just, just stick to just being, being the kind of person that you should be in Christ. You just never know. And he says, you know, I would say that he was committed to show gratitude and love for Jesus to do that for 40 years. But that simple man witnessed to perhaps 147,000 people. I think that God was showing that, that, that pastor from London, the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg, and, and only eternity will really reveal how much influence Mr. Frank Jenner exerted. He wasn't a preacher. He, he wouldn't have been one that would have, you know, like a leadership conference had his face 
he didn't even know he had ever led anyone to Christ, but because of just God in his goodness to him, he was able to hear that. And, and what I'm saying is we just don't know. You know, we go about and we don't always see the result. We're not like, we're not like the, the, sometimes how we measure things the way the world measures, and sometimes we don't know. And, and what I'm saying is so much of our lives in influence is dealt in the invisible. And we go about, and yet God really prescribes for us here the way we ought to be influential for, uh, for Christ, the way we ought to influence for Christ. And, and that's what I want to bring to you this morning, and just in this sh- short little while. But in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, there's a, I think, the way we ought to be an influence. And notice that there, firstly, in verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. And he's saying here that, that we ought to be like salt. And this morning's not, nothing new. It's, it's pretty simple, but I want you to think about it. You think about uh, maybe you're the type of person like I am. I'm not really, I don't like sweets as much as I like savory. You know, if you knew my family growing up, we salted everything. Okay, we salted every fruit under the sun. I used to salt mandarins. I used to salt strawberries. I used to salt watermelon. Yeah, I know. Some of you are like, ugh, do you have any taste buds at all? But I salted, I just loved salt. And, and you know what salt does? Salt is, is something that either corrects the flavor or it, ha- it enhances the flavor. You ever thought about, and maybe you've taken the time to sit and make a, uh, have a recipe in front of you. You ever thought about why it is that you're meant to get a pinch of salt? Because salt is meant to be an enhancement. Salt is meant to, to better the, the thing that you're, you're putting it in. And, and we've got to think about what salt is generally used for. Really, salt is used for flavoring in most recipes. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make is if we're going to be an influence for Christ, we need to give a good taste of Christianity. We need, to have a good, we need to give a good taste of Christianity. See, salt is used for flavoring in most recipes. You think about the kind of testimony you have, and the Bible tells us to, to, uh, to live in wisdom to them that are without, right, redeeming the time. We're supposed to be an influence in our world today. We're meant to leave a good taste of Christianity. What kind of taste does your, do your workmates have of Christianity because of you? What kind of taste does this your neighborhood have uh, on a Saturday night as they're going out for a walk and they hear what's happening, the commotion in your home? What kind of taste are you leaving for Christ? You know, too many times we sort of just go by and we forget that uh, just really out of, out, of, uh, out of just how it naturally occurs, we have some sort of influence on those around us. And salt really is used for flavoring in, in most recipes. And, you know, we get worried about winning people to Christ. I wonder if we ever think about how many we turn away from Christ because of our poor flavoring of Christianity. I think about the famous Mahatma Gandhi who was that, that, the great protester in India. And he, he was a learned man. He had studied all different religions. And he said this about Christianity. He said, I would become a Christian if it were not for the Christians. And you imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ. Imagine standing there as, as, as we give an account for our lives and 
with the, and he, he unravels for us all of the things that we could have done for him that we didn't do because really we just gave a poor taste of Christianity. And I wonder what kind of flavor we give. Salt is used for flavoring in, in most recipes. And, and sadly, as I think about the, the, that quote by Mahatma Gandhi, sadly, that may be the case for many Christians today. You know, our influence has lost the savor of being with the Savior. And he says that there. He says, if, if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It's good for nothing. So you just might as well just throw it on the ground and let it be just like the dirt and the dust. If you've lost that, then you've lost your influence. You've lost the right influence in your life. In fact, even those in the early church, Apostle Peter and John, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. and They took knowledge of them. Why? That they had been with Jesus. You know, the many, the, the, sometimes the reason why we've lost our Savior is because actually we haven't spent the time with our Savior. We've not learned His heart and we want His grace, learned His truth, learned His way. And, and we're going about and we might look at the world and we might, uh, we might cast, uh, cast some things to the world that says, hey, you ought to live right, but our very lives aren't different. Our very lives aren't really much more different than the world around us. We look around and we, we try to and we struggle to think, well, what kind of influences does our church have? And what kind of influence does Christianity have in this country of ours today where it was that it was greatly influential in the very foundations of, of, of which we enjoy today? And we look around and sometimes we're just scared. And we've neglected just living in that way that, lives a good, uh, that leaves a good taste in others' mouths. You know, he says it again in Mark chapter 9, verse 50, salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, wherewith will ye season it? And he says, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. He's saying that there's meant to be a, a, a saltness, a flavor of, of who Christ is in our lives. And you think about the other types of, of language that God uses in regard to influence, you think about that verse in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 18, where he says that, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, it says, but be filled with the Spirit. You know, when, we, when someone gets pulled over and they've been drinking, what, are they, what, what do we refer, we refer that to? They're driving under the what? Influence. You know, we go around. And we seek to be influenced by so many things, but I wonder if we're influenced by the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, I wonder if we're a product of the Holy Spirit. Are we a product of this world? You know, we so often allow the world to influence our tastes and, and our flavor, and we allow those things to come in. And how sensitive are we to have the Holy Spirit in our lives influencing us the way it ought to? And you know, that, that we're supposed to flavor the environment in which we're around. I wonder if we were to take a, a, real, a real honest survey around those in our family and those around us, I wonder if we were to ask them, you know, what kind of impressions have you had about Christianity because of this person? I wonder if they will taste and see that the Lord is good. I wonder if that's going to be their conclusion. And I think most of us would just 
do well to just get back to being, to, to just being with our Savior. To just getting that savor back in our lives, getting that joy, getting that power, getting all of that back into our lives so that we can be an influence and we can really flavor those that are around us. But you know what salt is also used for? It's used as a preservative. You think about our, our day and age, we have refrigeration, but prior to refrigeration, uh, the thing that was used to preserve, meats were often salted to ensure they lasted longer. Okay, what salt does, it draws water out of food and, and it dehydrates it. And all living things require water, including bacteria. And so salting it preserved the meat. Uh, we were watching a, a, an, an ad, uh, actually a news report uh, the other week, and there's a new way of cleaning. And they were saying there's a, there's a, there's a way where you don't, you don't have to use chemicals. And what it was is this machine that you, you run your water through and then you put some salt in and then it sort of mixes it through some sort of chemical reaction. And I was telling my wife, I just said, so you're paying for salt water. And they're saying this new way to clean was just salt water. You, you spray and then you wipe over and that's the new way. But we understand the, the, the preserving properties of salt and water. I, I think the Bible bears that out. In fact, even in the, the way that the sacrifices were given, there was a, the covenant of the salt. Look at Leviticus chapter 2. Look at Leviticus chapter 2, and, and God knew, God knew what, what salt does. I mean, He created it. And so in verse 13, Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13, He's saying, In every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy meat offerings with all thine offerings thou shalt offer salt. And he had, there was this great picture there. That the, the sacrifices, if they were to be done right, had to be salted. It was to be cleansed. It was to be preserved that way. And, and he refers to it again in First Chronicles chapter, uh, 2 Chronicles 13 verse 5 in regard to David and his kingdom. He says, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever? And then notice the analogy he uses, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt. He's saying, I'm going to preserve it. He, he's going to have the throne forever. And it's going to be likened to that covenant of salt. And salt is a preserver. He goes on later, and we won't take the time in Psalm 89 to reiterate that David's kingdom is forever. And he's saying, you, you better have salt in your life. Your influence better be like salt that preserves those things around you. Someone said it this way in a commentary here. A covenant of salt suggests an agreement of enduring qualities, even forever. Thus, a covenant of salt is one that is very strong. Though it may not always be everlasting, salt is understood to be the preservative, suggesting endurance. When God makes use of this metaphor, He's urging us to be faithful despite how circumstances appear on the surface because His Word is absolutely sure. Like himself, his word endures forever. It's preserved, and salt was required in every sacrifice burnt on the altar. Besides its preserving factor, it also was a purifying, had a purifying effect on what it comes in contact with. Ezekiel 16 even records that newborn babies were rubbed with salt. In addition, Elisha treated a bad water supply in Jericho with salt. 
And so besides purifying, then it also signifies a new beginning. So there's a lot of picture and analogy there, but it's a preserving. It's meant to change the environment. It's meant to preserve those things that are right and good and protect from all those things that are not right. And you know, the, the, the Bible tells us in Colossians 4, 5 to 6, says, walk in wisdom toward them that are without, those who are without salvation. He says, redeeming the time, buy it back, make the most of it. He says in verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. You know, the, the, the primary way that the Bible tells us how we can be, uh, our influence can be, it's, it's through the saltiness of our words. It's through the things that we communicate. You know, so much of the world is influenced by things written down. We understand for us as believers, we have the Word of God that is written down for us. But we have those all around the world who believe in different manifestos. They'll, they'll get those things. And he's saying that our words are so influential. And our words better be preserving. Our, our words better be purifying. Our words better be protecting. And, and, and our words are so influential, it better be salty. And I know we use that word. You, you ask a young person, salty is not good. Right? It's showing attitude or, or whatever. You can, I don't know, maybe it's changed. It's just happening that quickly. But I'm just saying that the Bible tells us salt is good. And it's a preservant. That's how our influence should be. You know, the, the world, the world has questions. And he's saying there that you may know how, to, how, to, how you ought to answer every man. The world has questions. You, you, talk to, you, you talk to people here just, just about their future, and, and there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of questions that they have. You talk to people who have other things available to them. They're reading into things and reading about things, and they want answers. And he's saying, you know, the way to best influence someone that way is, is actually to just make sure that we're salty in our words, that we've not lost our savor, that that's the kind of influence that'll make a difference. And you know, the next generation has questions. They're living in this world now. They're going through these things and they're, they're observing things that perhaps in our generation we never ever had to deal with and, and we've got to get back to some savoriness in our answers or else we're just going to put them off. And we better have that kind of influence. And he's saying, you know, you're going to have this influence, this kind of influence, you better leave a good taste of Christianity. You, you better answer with, with great grace and you better answer in that way, and you better, you better just live your life in a way that is just has a full, full savor of the Savior in your life. But then he uses another analogy. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. And we know this in verse 14. He says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. And we know, we, we get that. We, we live in a, in a time where there's lights everywhere. Right, you ever flow in, fly into a city at night, you see all of the city lights. You, you can't hide it. You, know, you can see, you can see from, from miles away the lights that, that we have, and lights, they, they show. And, and he's saying, you're the light of the world. He's, he's saying, we are. He, he says in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel or a bowl but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are, that are in the house. You know, we take for granted that we have modern technology. Even right now, we have all these lights on. 
the other day we had one of our bulbs went out in our in our um, in our um, in our walk-in wardrobe, and it was one of those old. Um, and Danny, you might need to help me with this because there was one of those old fluorescent lamps, and I bought one that was exactly like it. I plugged it in; it still doesn't work. Right? That's how handy I am. I can't change a light bulb, but we take it for granted. We go around and we we see those things, and we we just take it for granted that we have lights, but. Back in those days, you had to light a candle. You remember those, some of you? You, you, you light a candle to make sure that there's light at night. You, you, there was no artificial lighting that we have. We just had to get that and have that little flame and walk around. He's saying you don't light that to hide it. And what, what he's implying is God doesn't give us that so that we can just sort of just not use it for its purpose. God doesn't give us light so that we can hide it and, and pretend we don't have it. And just blend in. And here's a point I want to make about our influence. It ought to reveal truth in a darkened world. Because that's what you do. You know, you, when your, your child is scared, what do they often ask for? Can you turn on the lights? And what it does, it comforts them because the, the spooky shadow that they thought they saw, when the light shows it, it actually gives peace, right? It actually shows that there's nothing to fear. In other times, we turn on the light and we realize there's danger ahead, right? I'm thankful that our vehicles have headlights because I can see what's ahead of me. I'm thankful that in, in times when there's danger around and it's dark, I, can, I, have, I have resources to be able to see. And what it does, it reveals those things that are around us. And that's what truth does. And we're supposed to be people of truth and, and we're supposed to be people that are of the light and Light reveals the true condition of a darkened surrounding. And light shows you if there are obstacles or, or, or the inherent things that are around that may cause you to be injured or hurt. And what the Bible's trying to tell us is that you're a light, you're supposed to be a revealer of truth. Truth is the light that the Word of God sheds to a lost and darkened world. And, and I think about the different, uh, different missionaries that we support that was brought, uh, brought to my attention again this week, just le- reading through that list, and, and there was a couple of those I still don't know, but I started to research some of the countries and think about some of the places that they're in, uh, some of the places I've been that used to be that there was no gospel witness and the tremendous work of the gospel, how now you look and there's saints who sung the same songs that we sung, who's serving the same God that we serve, and suddenly there's light, and what a joy. But I think about all of these different places, and I wonder about our little corner of the world. I read about a missionary of, uh, of yesteryear, John Getty, who worked in the south part of Vanuatu, who was there for 24 years, and just on a, on a, a monument that was, uh, that was placed there in his memory, these words were inscribed, when we landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When we left in 1872, there were no heathen. And I wonder what, what we do. I wonder when, when we've been given, we, the, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts. I wonder what we do with that. Or do we shy away from, from the very thing that God has given us to, to do, the very thing that God has called us to be? And, and I wonder if we shy away from that. I think about what the Lord Jesus said about himself. He says in John 12, 46, I am come a light into the world. That whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And think about the light of Christ and the light of the gospel. And think about influence. 
Talk about influence. All of us here, you've been saved. You understand how much God has changed in your life. You understand what He's done. And yet, none of us have seen Him. Yet, none of us have heard His voice. We've not heard anything but His influence. Why? Because He came to be a light is undoubtable in our day today. It's, it's undoubtable the things that he's, he's been able to, to accomplish. Why? Because He is the light. Jesus is the light. You think about the fact that we are made to be the light. It says in Ephesians 5.8, You were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the world. Walk as children of light. You know, that, that's a, it's an active daily. How's our light? The Bible tells us about itself in Psalm 119, verse 130, the entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. You know, God's word sheds light. It's a, it's a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. You understand that this, the, the word of God, it sheds light on those, those darkened understandings of man. You, if you've ever sat down with someone with a question and you've opened the word of God and you've seen the lights go on, you know what I mean. You get it. And you understand that so many times when we, that, that should have been the thing that we go to, we put it away instead. I remember a couple of years ago, I was working, I was at uni, working for a sports store, and I had a really early shift. It was Christmas time, and they needed someone there first thing in the morning, so I volunteered mainly because it was double time for the first two hours. But I went, and I was sitting there, and I was just in the habit. So I, was, I opened the Bible because I actually carried it. I didn't put it. I just didn't have it on my phone. So I carried it to uni and I had it in my bag because I had uni afterwards. And so I just sat there in the, in the food court. Nothing else was open. I just sat there and I was just reading my Bible. And this, this elderly lady, she walked past and she was catching the train and she was just walking past the food court and she noticed I was reading and she came up to me and she said, what are you reading? And I said, oh, I'm just reading the Bible. She goes, well, firstly, the fact that you're reading, you know, most young people don't read anymore. And then she said, but you're reading the Bible? I said, yeah, I'm reading the Bible. And she goes, what, where are you reading? I said, I'm, I'm reading and I was in reading in Psalms. And I began to just talk about what the Psalms were and she, she sat there with me for half an hour. And after half an hour, she started to ask about Jesus. I was sitting there and she started to talk about, well, you know, I've heard of Jesus. What did he really do? And I went through it. And that older lady, she was probably in her 70s, 80s. And she said, at the end of that, she said, you know, I need to get saved. <laughs> and this lady got saved. And listen, you know, sometimes we have the light and people are groping in the darkness. You understand? People are groping, trying to figure out what life's about, trying to figure out what, what purpose is, and we got the light. We have the influence if we needed it, if we wanted it. And we go about and we try to figure it out different ways, and, you know, it's a waste if we hide our light. He, he said that there, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, you know, a candlestick is meant to hold up the light, and we're meant to show it proudly and show it vividly. 
We're not supposed to hide truth. We're not supposed to hide our lives. We're supposed to emphasize it. And, you know, when we get an opportunity to reveal truth or to model truth about Jesus, do we take the opportunity or do we hide it? Do we, do we shy away? And we understand sometimes when we do reveal light, it can become at first harsh. You ever slept in long enough that, that you know, there was the brightness of the sun came through the blinds and then you were blinded? you know, that, that early morning light. And sometimes it can, can, can be harsh when you, when someone who's been in darkness, you suddenly show them light. Sometimes it can shock them. But that's no reason to just shy away from, from using the light. That's, that's not a reason for us to just put it away and, and oh, I don't want to offend. Listen, truth will offend. Truth sometimes will, will, will get our attention and reveal some harsh things like what we said sometimes in darkness we don't really see. But that's no reason to hide away and, and not use our influence by living as light, living in the light, and living to proclaim the light. And so our influence ought to be like salt and like light. It's meant to leave a good taste. It's meant to be a revealer of truth in a dark world. But then notice verse 16. He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You know, our good works are meant to be a reflection of our faith. It's meant to reflect something about who our God is. And, and I want to ask you, what do people know about you? And because of what they know about you, what do they know about God? Because like the old saying goes, you might be the only Bible someone reads today. You might be the only gospel track that they'll ever receive. You might be the only Christian they'll ever meet. And maybe unlikely in Australia, but certainly in different places, that'll be true. And I wonder, what, what do we reflect? Because really, that's what he was saying. He says, let your light so shine before men. They'll see something and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. We're meant to be a reflector of who, who God is and what, what do they know about God because they know something about you? See, Jesus was known to be a, a man who did good. And, and here specifically he's saying that they may see your good works. You know, we understand that God doesn't look on the outward appearance but, and he sees the heart, but man looks on the outward appearance. God sees, uh, man sees you. Man sees the way you, you behave, the way you the, the way you. You treat your family the way you, you treat your workplace, the way you treat your, your church. People see that. That's why we were talking about, you know, this, this renovation. And, and honestly, the, the best advertisement for Christianity is just joyful people who just love to be with, with the Lord and be with the church. And I'm just saying that that ought to be the, the reality of it. And, and, and maybe if it's not the case, then we need to just get back to the very first thing that we talked about, just getting back to that savor getting back to some savoriness in our lives and getting back to that, to, to being with the light because He is the light. And I'm saying, what good works have we done for others lately? How, how have we served those around us? How have we gone about? And, and you know, we're talking about service this, this whole month and next week we're going to have the ministry market where we're going to have an opportunity. But, you know, I, I keep saying this and it's true. We're not just a church on a Sunday. We're the church every other day of the week. And we go around. I wonder what, what our friends at school think about us. What advertisement 
are we for Christ? Do you put them off? Or do you, do, you, do you get them to go, well, something's different about that person. I want what they have. Listen, no one sees an ad and goes, oh, they really don't enjoy that product. They always put happy people with, ha- with those products, don't they? Why? Because they, you want to go, I want to have a good time like they're having a good time. And listen, some Christians, they are just a poor advertisement for Christianity. We'll go around and they're miserable. And why would we want that? And listen, there's hard things in life. There's, there's times where we don't feel great. There's times where we just, there's just, but do we have Christ or not? Do we have something that is different to the world or not? And what good works have we done for others lately? In Galatians 6.10, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. But he says this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if ye have, what, love, one for another. So our testimony with one another actually affects our good works with one another, affects those. And you understand we're saved to do good. In Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. He's saying there that again, after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. And why are we saved? For good works. And we, we have to show our faith by our works. And what, what, what do they see? What kind of thing have you done for your family, your workmates, your schoolmates, or your neighbors lately? The Bible tells us in James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. And that's not saying that, that the works come before salvation. No, he's saying when you have the faith, works will be produced. When you're real and you, you're not just a professor of faith, you're a possessor of faith, it'll change your life and you'll do good. No, I observe those who, who leave church and who truly, I think, are saved but struggle and struggling maybe going about, going through their a bit of a journey. You know what I observe about them? That Often, a lot of them, they still want to do good. I've seen some, they leave and they, they try a different course. And it's usually some sort of humanitarian, some sort of service-oriented work. It, it amazes me that somehow it's still in them, even if they're distant from God, it's still in them. They just want to do a good thing. And, and that's, that's, just, that's a product of the Holy Spirit's working in our lives and so when that's not the case, often it's because there's a hindrance there. Maybe there's sin. Maybe there's just a lack of savor, a lack of just living in the light and walking in the light. But if we're going to do that, we're going to be a reflection of, of all God is. And, and again, so many times it's our actions that speak louder than words. I, I heard a story just a couple of weeks ago from one of the, the staff in here at the school, and she was talking about how uh, there was this, this, this mission station in uh, some Eastern European country. I forget now. But uh, a particular man was just had this daily routine of walking past a field. And in that field just was a guy who was plowing the field, but just something different about that man plowing the field. He, he just seemed to exude joy 
in what he was doing, unlike some other farmers he had seen, but he was plowing away and plowing away. And he had, he had walked past this man oh, for, for months. He just kept looking at him and just seemed to just have a joy. Um, and I was thinking about, thinking about actually Derek when he does all of the lawns on, on the Friday afternoon. I was like, yeah, man, I get that. I see Derek. He's, he's got joy in what he does there, cutting grass. But I think about this man who was plowing and plowing away and, and really just minding his own business. After several months, finally, this, this other man who was just observing that finally, finally looked at the field really closely. And he realized on the top of the hill there was, was a little building with a cross on it. And he figured, man, this man must belong there. So that following Sunday, he, he decided, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to stay home today. I'm going to go. And he went to that building. And he was right. He saw that man in that building. He was the pastor of that church. And this man was able to lead that other man to Christ. Why? Because he simply plowed differently. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we try to figure out, well, how do we win the world? Hey, how about starting with this? Let's just have a good influence on those others around us. It, maybe we need more preachers. Maybe we need more missionaries. But I'll tell you what, we need 100%. We need more Christians who will just live like they should. We just need some Christians who, who, you know, they'll just be salty in a good way. <laughs> we just need some Christians who'll just live like light because they are light. And we need, just need to live the way it's prescribed for us in the Word of God. Too many times we complicate life like we just got to do this and that. Listen, just keep it simple, man. Just, just live salt and live light. And, and you never know, you, you know, uh, a, pastor, my, a pastor friend told me this one time. He says, if you'll take care of the burning, God will take care of the shining. You know, what we want, we want to be influencers, but we just need to be an influence. We want the world to sort of look at us like, but listen, it doesn't matter. God's the one that bears fruit in our lives. God's the one that adds that. He's the one that gives the increase. We believe that. We've just got to take care of those things. We've got to be salt and light. And I hope that that's the kind of influence we desire. You know, we, we, we have a world that needs to be one. And it's only going to be one if we're going to be the salt and light that God has called us to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, just for the time this morning. Just Again, just the challenge of, of who we ought to be in you. And Father, too many times we just... Lord, are neglectful of the reality of our influence and neglectful of, of what kind of influence we need to exert on this, the world and the age that you've given us to live. Pray that you'd help us, dear God, to just get back to some basics and get back to just, just having a savor, Lord, just, just spending the time with you, Lord, allowing you to make a difference in our lives and, and then, Lord, allowing that difference to pour out in the lives of others and that, Father, we would just bask in the light of your word, that we would bask in the light of, your, of, your, of your, your character and your nature and that let that affect us, Lord, so we can be charged up to be lights in this world. I pray that you'd help us, dear God, to, today. And We're going to have heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. We're going to have the piano play. And